right, guys, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-lead ministers here at Oceanside Sanctuary. And uh, last week, you might know, we canceled church because of hurricane slash tropical storm Hillary, which turned out to be a big nothing burger here in Oceanside. But even though we didn't get a lot of rain last week during Hurricane Hillary, a, a sea swell rose up here in Oceanside and swept across Coast Highway and washed this chunk of stage right up here onto the floor. <laughs> And I was like, wow, it's like a gift from God. Never have I felt so tall. <laughs> uh, actually, we did this because we are trying to upgrade our cameras so that our live stream looks and sounds a little bit better. And so one of the things we wanted to do was just elevate those who were up here uh, doing dialogues or speaking so that you know the, the angles worked properly, which is all just to say, that uh, we didn't do this just because I'm five foot nine, just so you know. It's just an added benefit. Uh, also, if you are new, I just wanted to let you know that in the pew back in front of you, you might notice that there's a slip of paper that looks like this. It's a connect card. And if you're into sort of old fashioned things, you can always take this and a pen, which should also be located in front of you. Fill it out if you're new. Let us know who you are. If you're interested in connecting with what we do here at Oceanside Sanctuary, you can just fill this out pop it in the offering box, which is on that back wall right back there, and we will get in touch with you. Or if you prefer, you can always scan the QR code. You'll see the QR code on the bulletin uh, and post it around the, the uh, walls here. And also there's a little QR code here. You can just use that to fill out the same thing online if you would like to. And then this is my way of squeezing in announcements, even though we don't do announcements anymore. Next Sunday's uh, our, our monthly pancake breakfast. Yeah. So for those of you who are interested, next Sunday, Daniel and Winnie are pancake chefs and they'll be making pancakes. We'll have coffee and all kinds of stuff immediately after church. So you don't wanna miss that. Today's our last uh, installment in our latest teaching series, which we have been calling Reconstructing uh, Faith. We've been talking all about the experience of having your faith sort of uh, taken apart or deconstructed. A lot of folks who are in this church are here because they have migrated away from expressions of faith that felt overly controlling or overly rigid or were even abusive in their own way. Or maybe you just have experienced changes in your belief. And as you begin to rethink your faith, as you begin to rethink your beliefs, you find that those communities weren't friendly to the questions that you were asking, to the doubts that you were having. And so one of the things that we have been fortunate uh, with here at Oceanside Sanctuary is this is a space where we recognize that our faith grows and changes throughout our lives, that that's healthy, just like your body grows and changes, just like your mind grows and changes, that we develop throughout our lives, and that our faith may go through big changes as well. And so we've been tackling some of those topics that can be a little bit difficult as we begin to rethink and question and doubt. And we're going to end our series today on the topic of offering. I mentioned that we have an offering box there at the back, uh, but for those of you who have been around here for a little while, you might have noticed we don't really even take an offering here. We don't pass baskets or trays or anything. We don't have any time in the service that's dedicated to asking you for money. And there's a good reason for that. It's because 
Churches are notoriously bad at dealing with money. They're notoriously uh, manipulative about asking you for money and oftentimes abuse the money that you do give. And so we have really tried to distance ourselves from any appearance that we are all about money here. And we try to be as transparent and accountable about the money that you do give as we can. Um, but we don't talk a lot about offering. So today we're going to address that topic. And this would be a good time for you to pray for me as we do this. Amen. God, we thank you so much for today, for this opportunity for us to gather in this space, to have a space of acceptance, of inclusion, a space where people are welcome wherever they are in their spiritual journey. We know that you are at work bringing together all the various threads of our lives. Now, whether that process looks traditional or, uh, or unorthodox, whether that process is clean or messy, whether it's uh, painful or rewarding, that we recognize that you are in the midst of the changes we experience. We trust that you are moving us towards a space of health and growth so that we can be a good presence in this community together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Janelle and I were living in Park City, Utah in the mid-1990s. We moved to Park City, Utah to get away from Southern California because we'd had our first child, Savannah, who is now 30 years old. Uh, and just last year gave birth to our first grandchild, and then just last month moved from L.A. to 10 doors down from us. We are luckier than any of you. <laughs> but when Savannah was three months old, we moved to Park City, Utah, because I love the mountains. I wanted to ski and snowboard as much as I possibly could, and I did not want to raise a child in Southern California. Right? Those were my reasons. And when we got there, a funny thing happened. We had this sort of powerful encounter with a community of grace. And for us, that really felt like God was calling us into something, and that turned into a sense of calling to ministry. And before long, I was being offered a position to be a youth pastor at this small church up in the mountains in Park City, Utah, where my job, I kid you not, was to ski and snowboard with teenagers as much as I possibly could. <laughs> And for that job, uh, I was paid very little. <laughs> uh, I was living in a very expensive uh, resort town. And Janelle and I were living in subsidized housing, and we were both working multiple jobs in order to make ends meet and feeling more financial anxiety and pressure and stress than we had ever felt in our lives. And our leaders at this church that had just recently hired us uh, sat me down and talked to me about how important it was that I give 10% back to the church that had employed me. And I just was like, that is not even possible. How is it possible that like for as little as we make and as hard as we are going and as busy as we are and as stressed as we are that we could possibly give 10% of our income back to the church. And this really felt to me like exactly what churches get wrong. That they sort of squeeze people for their time and their money as much as possible. And as a staff member, I was feeling that. And so that began for me a kind of long 
journey of like reckoning with how churches deal with giving. It just occurs to me that in life in general, if you are, say, a household with a bunch of kids or a bunch of pets and you have all kinds of obligations in your life, including the exorbitant rents or mortgages that it costs to live in Southern California and a car payment and a, a goal to like have, I don't know, some kind of retirement or maybe life insurance, God forbid, and maybe like some opportunity to experience a little downtime in your life that all of this combines to create a life of incredible stress and pressure. It is extraordinarily expensive to live in late-stage capitalistic America. Have you noticed? It makes us oftentimes crazy with pressure and crazy with uh, the tendency to compare ourselves to others, to want the things that we don't have, even if the things that we do have are perfectly great. And so we live in this place of perpetual dissatisfaction and then along comes some smug pastor who tells you that you also need to take a chunk of that money and give it to the church. That if you don't, God will be displeased with you. But if you do, then blessings will come your way. And that just makes me crazy. Because uh, it's not true. And so we try not to do that here. But it also occurs to me that there's something important about offering. And so when Janelle and I were talking about how to approach this subject uh, together with a teaching and a kind of praxis reflection, we moved away from money as a topic and towards the idea of what an offering might be, how we can understand offering in a way that's holistic, that's hopeful. And here's what we came up with. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so this is the Apostle Paul writing his famous letter to the Christians in Rome, right? This is the letter to the Romans. And right here in the middle of the letter, Paul is making a transition, a kind of theological hinge from everything that he has said before this to everything that he's going to say after this. Now, everything that he's going to say after this is essentially a description of what it means to live a good life after the pattern of Jesus. I highly encourage you at some point, if you are so inclined to like take a break from whatever you're binge watching on Netflix, that's me too, by the way, that's not an accusation, right? And just read Romans chapter 12, the whole chapter. After this, it gets amazing. It's a description of a rich and good and satisfying life of love and goodness and peace and joy. It's worth reading. It's worth thinking about, like, what would it like, look like if my life resembled that? And before this, before Romans 12, 1 and 2, was Paul's big theological argument about God's grace and mercy. What it is that makes God God and what it is, by the way, that makes God God is God's grace and mercy. That is God's 
gifting to us. That's what grace means. I know that some of you were raised to believe that grace meant God didn't smite you in spite of your sin, but that's not what grace means. And that's a whole nother sermon series. Grace means God's gifts of goodness to empower your life of goodness. Because that's who God is, because God is a God who gives good things to us, because God is a God of mercy, Paul says this is true. Because God is merciful, we have to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the trouble with this passage is that this is a violent image of destruction. When you think about a sacrifice, what do you think of? Well, maybe you think of like burnt sacrifices from the Hebrew Bible, right? Animals that are slaughtered in order to somehow make an offering to God. And that doesn't sound particularly fun. I don't want to be a slaughtered animal on an altar. Why in the world would Paul use such a violent metaphor? This, in fact, I think could confirm our worst fears about what it means to be Christians or what it means to be religious or what it means to go to church, that we're going to be asked to constantly sacrifice good things in our lives to the altar of whatever religious institution we belong to. But there are a couple of keys, I think, to understanding this passage differently. The first is that Paul says that we aren't just sacrifices, we are living sacrifices. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This living sacrifice, I think, conjures a couple of other images from Scripture to mind. The first is Exodus chapter 3, Moses stumbling along on the great mountain, discovers a burning bush. The description of the burning bush is, is sort of fantastical, right? It's a bush that is on fire, but it is not being destroyed. It's a bush full of living branches and living leaves. It's green, it's vibrant, it's alive, and yet it is on fire. This is an image of the presence of God, a fire that does not destroy. We see the same thing, by the way, in Acts chapter 2. We visited this several weeks ago, Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit of God or the presence of God is depicted in this metaphor of fire that comes down above the heads of everybody. Again, what we have is a kind of living fire that comes upon people but does not destroy them. It empowers them, but it does not eliminate them. This, I think, is very consistent with Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3, which says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but God tests the heart. It's an amazing little poem that describes that our relationship with God is a little bit like a crucible, right? A crucible is something that you take ore, you pour it into, and then you heat it up to an incredible temperature. And what happens is, is the the, the junk, the impurities are burned off and what's left is gold or silver. And you scrape off those impurities and you're left with something beautiful and good. And so the fire does come to destroy something. But it comes to destroy those things in your life that are harmful, hurtful, unhelpful to you. And what's left over is the thing that you were created to be. 
You're not eradicated. You're not eliminated. You're not destroyed. You are refined, purified, made into the thing that you were always meant to be. Paul describes this exact same thing in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, when he says, verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What if in the process of offering ourselves to God, giving ourselves to God, it wasn't a sacrifice that leads to your destruction. It was a gift that you give to become who you were always meant to be. Those things that are driving you crazy, those things that are making you insane, those things that are hurting you and maybe others around you are burned away for good. And what's left is the you that you were always meant to be. The gold, the silver that God created, that God intended for you. Paul calls this act of worship, this gift, this offering that we bring of our whole selves, by the way, our whole selves. And Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's not saying give 10% of your paycheck to God as a gift or an offering. I once had a guy in a church that I was pastor of sit me down, like invite me over to his house for a very nice dinner. And then after dinner, you know, we had some wine for dinner. And then after dinner, there was like scotch and cigars. Like this is his way of buttering up one of the pastors, right? And then he said, listen, I have a really important theological question for you. Now that I'm a Christian, now that I've given my life to God, am I supposed to tithe off my gross or my net? <laughs> it's so like disorienting to have Tina Edwards sitting in a different spot. <laughs> Whether you receive this as good news or bad news, Paul's point is that we aren't to give a portion of ourselves. It's not about tithing. We don't talk about tithing here. It's not about giving 10% or 3% or 5%. It's about giving your whole life to God. Every bit of it. In spite of the fact that you will be burnt on the altar, the result is transformation. The result is you become something new. You become transformed. You become Utterly a new creation, as Paul puts it in other letters. But what is this act of worship? Paul describes it this way. He says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable. And earlier in verse 1, he calls this our spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship worship. I really have a problem with this word spiritual because it really means nothing. What does it mean to be like spiritual or to worship spiritually? What does it mean that to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is our spiritual worship? Is there any other kind of worship besides spiritual? Isn't everything we do spiritual by the definition of what it means to be a spirit, to be a mind, to be a person who makes their own decisions, who has agency. Well, it turns out that this word translated spiritual in my Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, 
is the Greek word logikos. And so if you have a different version of your Bible, this passage might read, uh, this is your reasonable act of worship. Logikos is, of course, the word from which we get concepts like logic and reasonable and rational or sensible. Paul isn't just saying that when we offer our whole lives to God, that somehow that is a more spiritual act. Paul is saying, because God is grace and mercy, it only makes sense to give yourself to God wholly. It's the only thing that makes sense in a life that is constantly trying to fragment you, constantly trying to press you, to stress you out, to pull you in multiple directions, in view of God's grace and mercy, what makes sense is for you to give yourself to the God of grace and mercy. We've used Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 as a kind of shorthand way of understanding what we mean by the word God. And so I'll just remind you of that. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So then, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, to give our whole selves to God, to offer ourselves to God completely, means giving our whole selves to love. It means giving our whole selves to joy. It means giving your whole self, every single bit of you, not just 10% of your paycheck, not just one or two hours on a Sunday morning, giving your entire self to peace, to kindness, to being gentle to being faithful to what matters in your life, to being a person who has the self-control to do that. What if this was your offering? What if your offering wasn't about how much of your money you could give to your church, this one or any other? What if offering wasn't about whether or not you could climb the ladder of status by giving endlessly of your time and your money what if offering, giving, sacrificing was wholeheartedly pouring yourself into these things? To being a person of love. Knowing that whatever the cost, it's worth it because you are becoming the silver and gold that you were always meant to be. Paul says this is the only response that makes sense in this world. Amen? Amen.